Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We always say you should buy stocks into weakness when you have what's known as an exogenous event that drags down the whole market. We always say this could be the opportunity to get your toe in the water if you've got some spare money lying around. Yet today, after Senator Marco Rubio said he can't vote for the new tax bill and other Republican senators might be balking too, the market took a hit. Dow ultimately dipping 77 points, S&P declining 0.41%. The house of pain. And the Nasdaq edging down 0.28%. How many of you took this moment and treated it as a bye, bye, bye buying opportunity? I'm betting most of you didn't. I'm assuming most of you figured, okay, here we go again. I don't want to get in front of this derailed freight train. Not after we've rallied hundreds of points based on the idea that this tax bill will pass. Yet at the risk of being a Pollyanna, I'd like to point out that this is precisely the kind of event that brings out mass sellers, especially in the S&P 500 stocks, well, and then creates the momentary proverbial sale sell, sell, sell. on coveted merchandise that you would otherwise have to chase to own. I always say, look, there's a store that's throwing a sale in the mall. Hey, unless it's got multiples and I'm a buyer. Same deal here. Same kind of merchandise. It is true that if another Republican senator strays from the tax reform reservation, and that does look like it could happen, I do expect an indiscriminate and perhaps brutal decline takes down the good with the bad. Look, I get where Rubio's coming from. I mean, for what it's worth, I think expanding the child tax credit's a great idea and, and would seriously improve the optics of this bill. But if you were banking on the swift passage of tax reform to bolster your portfolio, this news had you tearing your hair out. I, I clearly beat you to it. However, after you finish freaking out, and I know that's what they were doing at the bell, you need to ask yourself something. Can this latest Washington drama scuttle the real hardcore reason stocks have been climbing higher, maybe even for ages? You know, I had something happen this week. It really kind of shocked me. I did a seminar with legendary money manager Ken Fisher. I've known him forever. And he dazzled me with some stunning statistics, usually the boring, right, about tax reform. Turns out corporate tax cuts may not be such a panacea for the market. Fisher's research showed that since 1927, corporate taxes were cut 10 times. 
Over the following year, the S&P 500 increased increased by an average of 11.3%. Stocks rallying in six out of those 10 years. Pretty good, right? But get this. Fisher notes that we raised taxes 13 times over the same period, and the S&P rallied an average of 12.5% in the year following each of these tax hikes, increasing in value nine out of 13 times. Yep, at least according to history, tax hikes seem to help stocks more than tax cuts. Okay, that's corporate, all right? And that's what's at stake here. But how about personal taxes? How about your taxes? All right, according to Fisher, there have been 15 tax cuts since 1927, with the S&P gaining an average of 8% in the following year. Yet on the 13 occasions when personal taxes were raised, we got an average gain of 15.7% with stocks rising 10 times out of 13. Now, look, we all know that this market isn't set up for Rubio and newfound GOP fellow travelers to derail the whole darn tax deal. But I think Fisher's evidence shows pretty conclusively that taxes just aren't nearly as important as, as many may think. In fact, you could argue that stocks tend to go be- do better when taxes go up. Stranger things. What really matters, though, What always matters is where we happen to be in the business cycle, the level of euphoria, a dramatic increase in the value of other rival assets like bonds, and most important, the things that individual companies do to help themselves. Which brings me to the biggest story of the day, and perhaps, I don't know, you could argue the year, Walt Disney's $52.4 billion offer for critical Fox assets, not the whole company, but critical assets that will make the combined company the preeminent entertainment and sports play worldwide. How important is this deal? As I've told you before, the thing that's dogged, dogged Disney stock for ages is the declining viewership for ESPN, once their premier cable property. But with this acquisition, that becomes a much smaller piece of the overall Disney puzzle. Disney can talk about global subscriber growth that includes ESPN and will lap the stock up rather than sell it down, which is why Disney stock actually rallied three bucks on the news. This is exactly the kind of deal I adore, one that makes so much sense that investors can't resist buying a stock that's recently been more synonymous with the doghouse than the mouse house. If the deal gets regulatory approval, and, and that's a big if, then I believe Disney stock is headed to new highs. I also think the remaining part of Fox will be a bargain, since according to David Faber, it could pay a big dividend and will have an excellent balance sheet. No wonder it jumped 6.5%. Even after these runs, I want to make it very clear, I think the stocks of both Disney and Fox, and I certainly didn't think the latter was, viable. Yes, even after the runs. Now, if you're really cynical, you might think that the Justice Department's antitrust division will bless this deal because it's good for Rupert Murdoch, a big-time Trump backer who actually got a call from the president wishing him congratulations on the deal. That same kind of cynical mind might believe that the Justice Department is seeking to block AT&T's attempted purchase of Time Warner because President Trump railed against the deal before he was elected, perhaps because he doesn't like CNN. I I read earlier this week, he doesn't watch it. Uh, Frankly, I'm not that cynical. Regardless of how you feel about this administration, the Justice Department is not staffed by hacks. It's run by smart professionals who take their jobs very seriously. 
So should we be wary of owning the stock of Disney because of that? Don't be silly. I've long held that Disney stock is too cheap and the franchise is simply too fabulous to ignore with or without these assets. In fact, I'm not even sure it needs to buy these Fox properties to propel the stock higher. That said, though, I do love the deal. I like it even more because of a story that David broke earlier today about how Comcast, the parent company of this network, was willing to pay even more for Fox, yet Fox turned them down because it wanted to sell them Disney. Talk about validation. You don't get any better than that. And I say that as a humble employee of Comcast, which owns CNBC. Just last night, though, I told you that Disney needs more scale, meaning it needs to bulk up, needs to get bigger in order to take on Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet. And there's no doubt that this deal gives Disney all the scale it needs, and maybe then some. But let me go back to my main point, that you buy stocks because of what's happening with the economy, what the individual companies are doing to create value, not because of Washington. CEOs like Disney's Bob Iger don't like to see their stocks do nothing. And that's not just because their compensation is often pegged to the stock's performance. The fact of the matter is that you don't get to run a publicly traded company unless you're a pretty competitive person. Honestly, all Disney really needs to make me a believer is to get Fox's regional sports network. That's how much I like that. But they're also getting control of Hulu and the coveted international assets, including a lot of subscription revenue, among other things. You know what? That's the icing on the I don't care about ESPN subscriber losses anymore cake because they'll have growing sub-revenue galore. Now, obviously, one attempted acquisition is not a reason to embrace the whole market. But when you consider all the mergers we're seeing, when you consider activism, when you consider buybacks, when you consider dividends, and just the terrific earnings we've seen from so many companies, then even after the market's recent move, I think there's a lot to like, especially if it comes down now on this, this hold up here. That's true regardless of what happens to the tax bill. So if the broader market ends up getting slammed by an exogenous cause, like what I think is really just the temporary derailment of tax reform, I should get your shopping list ready. You might have a chance to do some buying. The bottom line, when you buy the S&P 500, you aren't getting an index of corn or wheat or soy or lumber, some commodity with no real ability to help itself. You're buying an index filled with CEOs who can do something to improve the value of their enterprises. Today, Disney CEO Bob Iger did that for one of the most obvious and well-known companies in the world. Who knows what the other 499 CEOs in the S&P are planning for tomorrow? How about we go to Max in Connecticut? Max! Hey, Jim, how you doing? I am having a good day. How about you, partner? Doing awesome. Good. So my question was, uh, in light of the CBS Aetna merger and announced that they're cutting copays for Narcan, do you think that this sets precedent for other health insurers to cut copays on Narcan as well? And do you think that it sets a precedent in the pharmaceutical industry as a whole? Uh, I, um, all I can tell you is, is that if you're going to – I think the pharmaceutical industry is somewhat immune from any sort of price cuts. But more importantly, United Healthcare is the way to go. And I think that that's the one that can take advantage of because I have this outcomes business called Optum that's so great. UNH has long been my favorite in the group. How about we go to Cap in Georgia? Cap! Yeah. Hey, Jim. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, partner. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I'm confused here. Yesterday, Bernstein and company said, may be a takeout at $330. Today, Investor Place says, no, 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 this is not right. And he refuted everything about Bernstein. 
I went to the restaurant last night, Chipotle, there were only five people. What do you think? What, I, I didn't catch the stock's name, I'm sorry. Chipotle. Oh, Chipotle. You know what, look, I, that was a very solid analysis. I was skeptical too, Cap. I got to tell you, I was skeptical. I mentioned it yesterday on my mad dash with David Faber. But what they did was point out that the metrics of Chipotle are cheap enough to make it so someone might want to buy it. I, I was suspicious too. But the empirical data and rigor of the work cannot be denied. Okay, I know some of you were scared off today. I don't blame you. But this is when you need to be reminded that you buy stocks because of the big picture, because of what the companies are doing, not just because of tax reform. Always have your shopping list at the ready. Oh, man, money tonight. I've got the exclusive with a company that's focused on two of the hottest themes in this market, drones and electronic vehicles. Where could Aero Environment be headed going into the new year? Then I'm pointing out stocks that are offering you a prime time to buy in this market. Some names from what I just talked about. And Nutanix is up nearly 95% from when the company's CEO first joined us on the program. So is it time to circle back to the name? I've got the exclusive with one red-hot company and the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I'm always on the hunt for ways to play the biggest trends around. But every now and then you find a company with exposure to not one, but two major long-term themes. Take Aero Environment. Now, AVAV, I've got the stuff behind me for you, home gamers. I want to block it, which some of you may recognize as a maker of unmanned aircraft systems, meaning drones for the U.S. military. We know the whole aerospace and defense cohort is on fire. Drones seem like the future of warfare. Why put your soldiers at risk when you don't have to? At the same time, what you may not know about AeroVironment is it's got these. This is a promising electric vehicle business. You'll find their technology powering charging stations, battery packs, and electric motors. As you might imagine, the stock has been red hot lately, but more, more than doubling since the beginning of the year. But AVAV also has its doubters, including a short-selling research firm we got asked about, the Spruce Point Capital, criticized the company for, among other things, weak corporate governance and accounting issues. I think it looks like the short sellers have a lot of egg on their face, given that just last week, Air Environment reported a fabulous blowout quarter, and the stock went up 26% last Wednesday. And some of that may be short covered, but some of it may be that this is the next big thing. So what made the phenomenal move possible? And more important, can it continue? Let's take a closer look with Wahid Nawabi. He is the president and CEO of Air Environment to learn more about how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Wabi, welcome to Bad Money. Good to see you, sir. Oh, good to have me. Thank you. Very cool. Now, we've got the latest products. I just want to get, you know, obviously the quarter was blowout. Some of these concerns were uh, that this, this short-selling firm mentioned seemed like that they were kind of uh, not really, um, let's say, accurate, given how well the quarter was. Is that fair to say? Well, Jim, uh, as you know, short-sellers make money by get, trying to get the stock to go down. Right. We are focused on executing our business. We let our results speak for itself. We had a great year last year. We're on track on our 
plans this year. We delivered on the first quarter and second quarter results. And we look forward to the remainder of the year. Good. I want to get that away because that, that's kind of the way I felt because I've been following your stock for some time. You know, I've been trying to have you guys over some time. And, you know, to me, every part of your business seems very strong. But I want to start with military. Uh, you, if you can, can you walk us through the most lethal drone in the world and also this new drone? Great. So, Jim, before I get into the products, we are a great position. We are the leading global provider of system solutions to both defense and commercial markets with drones, analytics, and robotics at the intersection of all of our solutions and products. Okay, so it's important to distinguish that you also have got commercial. Commercial, uh, absolutely. And you do a lot of agriculture, and you can, uh, this one we'll talk about in a second. That's right. But it's clear that they're, you know, kind of got the field to yourself right now. That's right. This is a game changer for our customers who are the men and women of our military in the front lines when they're being threatened by adversaries. Switchblade is a product and a solution that we introduced many years ago, about, about a decade ago. And essentially, it allows the warfighter in the front lines to put this thing out of their rack sack, carry it right. within, you know, 10 pounds weight, put it down, push a button, instantaneously get access to their surroundings, identify the adversaries. And then it actually has another incredible feature where it turns into a kamikaze drone or missile, and it basically follows the target and prosecutes it so the g- good guys come home safe. People tell me this is the most lethal thing in the skies. That's the word. Uh, Jim, we're very proud of this product, and now we have grown this business. Our revenues since 2011 has gone from roughly $6 million in the space up to sev- over $75 million wow. last year. And the number of variants of this product has grown into multiple different variants, one of which we've spoken about, which is called Blackwing. It's basically yeah. a non-lethal version of the switchblade okay. that launches out of a submarine. Wow. You do that, too. I want to talk about uh, the difference between a mission success and mission failure, meaning going toward maybe what could have turned out to be an ambush or maybe not, seeing over a wall and this drone. So, Jim, I'm glad you asked that question because this is one of our latest innovations that we have introduced to the market. You know, we, we pride ourselves on being a technology and innovation company. There's a requirement from the U.S. Army for drones that can operate in harsh environments, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. look over mount, uh, hills across the side of a street or an alley, uh, walls, and essentially they're pocketable. This thing it basically folds and goes into the pocket of a soldier. Incredible. And literally within a matter of minutes, you can launch this thing, and while you're walking around, you could see what's going on around you and save lives. This saves lives for our wow. customers. It's incredible. I also want to get to what I imagine is probably the... Well, I know is the number one in, in uh, for electric charging for electric vehicles. So maybe you can walk us through that for a second. Sure. So we've been focused on this for many years, and we're the leading global provider of EV charging solutions for electric vehicles in North America. Uh, our solutions have been chosen by nine of the top I global automakers. All the ones that are really that we often associate, maybe we think that they're not in tr- uh, doing the most, but they're spending billions and they're ahead of a, of a famous company that we've talked this about. This represents a significant, large, multi-billion dollar opportunity right. for us globally in the years to come. We're positioned very well. And this product is an award-winning product called TurboCord, which essentially it's actually the only indoor-outdoor rated UL certified charger that can do both it's referred to as level one and level two charging, which is basically almost four or five times faster. Okay. So small, compact, indoor, outdoor, UL certified, safe, and we are 
in the leading position in this market for both residential and commercial applications of oh, electric vehicle charging. Let's talk about commercial. Now, this drone, I understand, is something that if I were a farmer, a ag big agribusiness would like, right? Absolutely. So what we did in this case, we just introduced this product to the market recently. And in fact, today, customers can order these on Amazon. So you're the first to know <laughs> that this solution is available. What we've done is we've taken drones and software analytics and turned it into an app. Okay. If you can turn on an, a tablet, push go, the drone and the software does all the rest. It's fully automatic, take off vertically and transition to horizontal flight, come back and land on its own while you're having a cup of coffee. Okay, can I just ask, what is the suggested, manufacturer suggested list and price? Because it might be an interesting gift. <laughs> yes, so we are, the solution set, uh, with one year of subscription to our AV decision support system software is $16,500 on our website today. It's not so bad. I would have thought it would be double or triple that, frankly. Well, this is a commercial solution for farmers, for agriculture, right. for those industries, Jim. Well, thank you so much. You've got a very exciting company, and you are the dominant company. And thank you for what you do to save men and women soldiers' lives. Thank you. We're proud of it. Okay, that's why Nawabi is the president and CEO of AeroVironment. Guys, you got to read the deck. You won't believe they've got one smaller than this. They've got all sorts of ones. We've got lethality. <laughs> Stay with Graver. All right, let's figure this out. So the Fed raises interest rates, but the bank stocks have a severe two-day sell-off. Sell, 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 sell. Aren't they supposed to be going up on a rate increase? Buy, 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 buy. What the heck? All because Janet Yellen didn't say the economy is red hot? So hot that Jay Powell's successor had better tighten four times next year instead of the suggested three? I mean, it literally is that stupid. Of course, the banks all go down together like one big ETF that really controls them anyway. Of course, they all seem like they're wounded tigers waiting to be put out of their misery, but still ready to spring and eat you because you're the easiest prey to catch when they're hurt. So now you think to yourself, darn, we didn't hear something scary about multiple rate hikes, which is the, what the financials need to really blow away the numbers. So I guess we should join the sell party and dump them. Suddenly, the bearish litany takes over. The banks are probably going to have shortfalls anyway because there's not enough lending going on to make up for the shrinkage in trading revenues. Never mind that the banks got pretty much exactly what they wanted from the Fed yesterday, and they'll be huge beneficiaries of tax reform, assuming the GOP still has the votes. It just doesn't matter. Sell, sell, sell. That's been the pattern in this market. There's some sort of weird, unrequited love for stocks that then causes a quick jilt to kick in. And suddenly the romance is over, only to start up again a few days later when no one's looking. Think about it. Earlier this week, 3M holds an analyst meeting, and CEO Inga Tulin doesn't substantially raise his forecast. So some people sell the news while others see the stock go down and assume that, therefore, the headlines were disappointing. But anyone who caught the actual substance of the analyst day knows that things are going quite well at 3M. The weakness is going to be turned out to be another chance to buy this legendary stock. Home Depot invites everyone in and talks to them and explaining how things are really much, much better at the company in the country. They tell us that business is strong on almost, almost every aisle. And just like what they said, by the way, when they reported. Yet it wasn't enough. So the stock goes down almost five bucks 
instantly in pre-market trading. Stays heavy all day. Well, forget it. It doesn't matter. It's up big a few days later. Just today, the extremely well-run life sciences conglomerate, known as Danaher, held an analyst meeting where it actually gave us better-than-expected growth numbers. Yet it, too, sold off. What is this bizarre world we're in? As we told club members of ActionAlertsPlus.com, this could still be one more buying opportunity. Look at that chart in Danaher. You don't get these very often. How come it's so hard for these companies to get the respect they deserve? Let's go back to the banks. Right now, people are trying to figure out what can happen, what catalyst might exist between now and the next time they report, other than the possible negative one that the estimates are too high because we're not seeing enough lending or trading. When, invest, when investors look at it like that, glass half empty, they figure, okay, banks are done. You hear that? Oh, the banks are done. This is another refrain that we get all the time. Oh, the cyclicals are done. Uh, the retailers are done. Rails are done. And then you look a few weeks later and you wonder, how the heck did Gap get up there? Have you seen VF Corp or Canada Goose? You mean Caterpillar broke through the 140s? Norfolk Southern, what's that doing at 140? Wasn't it just at 120 where it was supposed to be really expensive? Did Nike stock really continue to rally after Foot Locker said things are better? It's almost as if the stocks are playing leapfrog over your ability to perceive where they could go. And it's as if you were frozen by the fact that J.P. Morgan broke out above 100. You didn't expect that. Or that Wells Fargo, despite all the scandals, now trades in the high 50s and even touched 60. Who knows how much you'll hate Bank of America when it bounces above $30. Okay, that may sound glib, but in this market, every time you've let the worries of the moment scare you away from these stocks, it has been a mistake. Now, there's real concerns. If we don't get an uptick, you know, kind of any sort of uptick in long-term interest rates, the rates that determine what banks charge you for the loans, then maybe the financials won't lend as much because it's just not worth the risk. Trading revenue is not good as the companies themselves readily acknowledge, so maybe they do miss the numbers. But there were risks with all these other stocks, too. And guess what? They've just moved systematically higher. So the next time you see weakness in a formerly strong group, remember that stocks do get cheaper as they go down. Far too many people treat pullbacks as reasons to sell, when in reality they can be excellent buying opportunities, especially as stocks break out of their old ranges and fail to be contained by what you thought would contain them. Levon in Florida. Levon. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, man. Thrilled that you called. What's up? Good deal. Regional fast food chain Pollo Tropical, symbol FRGI, had a horrible Q2 and Q3, but the stock has run up over 20% after announcing changes to its board and its menu. Do you think the recent run-up is a head fake, or do you think it's a turnaround play? You know what? We have a couple of restaurant chains that we really like, and you know, one of them is McDonald's. We think the world of it. We like Darden, too. We don't... We, we, we uh, Let's say we dabbled and dallied in Fiesta, the one that you mentioned, and it was a mistake. I own that mistake. I didn't see the shortfall, but once I did, I told people that it was time to go. All right, yes, there's weakness today, but where there's weakness, there's often opportunity, and we're going to find it together, you and me. Much more man money ahead, including my take on one of the most remarkable comebacks of the year. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Nutanix. Have you seen that rocket ship? To see how the company was able to turn it around. Then I've got the exclusive with a company capitalizing on a more connected and talkative world. It's rebounded from its lows. So as Synaptics finally put together a turnaround and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with 
Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I got this thing called Google, and it's looking it up. Have you ever tried it? No, I'm not it, it, It's written missing. You got this bar. You don't even have to ask it in the form of a question anymore. The Google? It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. We need to talk about the incredible comeback in the stock of Nutanix, NTNX. This company is a leader in what's known as hyper-converged systems, meaning next-generation technology that combines all of the business's server management, virtualization, and perhaps most important, storage into a single platform. This stock's had a roller coaster ride. It came public uh, 14 months ago at $16 a share. Then it spiked up to 37 by the end of the first day of trading. But this was only what's known as a sliver deal. Only a small fraction of the actual shares were on the market. And once the post-IPO lockup on insider selling ended, the stock got really hurt. By May 1st, the stock had plummeted all the way back to 14. That's two bucks below where it came public. But since then, though, it's caught fire again. It surged back up to 35 thanks to some strong results. It's now given us a monster 90% gain since we first spoke to the CEO at the beginning of June. Plus, based on the terrific quarter the company reported at the end of November, I would not be surprised if it doesn't have a lot more room to run. These guys have real sales momentum. So let's take a closer look with Deeridge Pandey. He is the co-founder chairman and CEO of the one special company, Nutanix. Find out more about his company's prospects. Mr. Pandey, well, welcome back to Man Buddy. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. Have a seat. Have a seat. Well, your company's living proof that stocks don't always have a bead on the company. Your business is about as strong as possible, and it really was just some a, a, lock, a big bit of supply that hit the market that drove the stock down. Yeah, I think, you know, it was also a little bit of Q2 softness, uh, but uh, Q2 was February of uh, this year. But, yeah, I think it's all about resilience. It's all about uh, constant execution. We talked about that in the past as well. And then there's the whole discovery process, you know, the the trust that builds with investors, just like the trust that we're building in Main Street, there's a trust that comes with Wall Street. But you know what's interesting? I think to some degree the problem of Nutanix, the stock, is different from Nutanix, the company. It's a little hard for people to understand. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, I always tell people, if you can't explain it to me in a paragraph, I don't want you to buy it. Mm-hmm. Could you give the paragraph version of what you guys do? I know it's going to be oversimplified, but we've got to give it a shot. Yeah, simple. I mean, you know, digitization was all around us with music, photography, shopping carts, uh, everything just became pure software, apps, right? I mean, we stopped touching these devices. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's happening in the data center. Basically, everything that used to be these special purpose boxes right. is becoming pure software. I mean, if anything, cloud is just a digital data, data center, actually. You know? Yes. The thing that uh, we'll actually don't have to touch and feel anymore. And you guys fit in at which point? Because, for instance, we did have a competitor of yours, VMware, on the other day. And I know you guys are very tough, but, you're, but you know what? In a fair way. But where are you distinguished, say, from them? Because you've got a lot of momentum, but they're an incumbent. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, they're a partner, they're a competitor, just like most things in life. I mean, we started in an era of cloud. They started 10 years before us. So a lot of our design, architecture, philosophy, this idea of the human-machine interface, how Mm -hmm. things need to be simpler, consumer-grade design, we really are different in that. And also the fact that we are trying to figure out a way to blur the lines between on-prem and off-prem. Okay. You know, what do you have on-premises? On-premises and off-premises. Yeah. 
And what do you have in the cloud? And how do the uh, two lines blur is a big question. Right. Now, I, I know that some people were also thrown because you were kind of a hardware software company, but you've gone all software. But that's kind of the nature of the beast, right? Yeah, I mean, it grows our TAM. I mean, I mean, if you think about just market. like Windows Phone, uh, mm -hmm. before iPhone, nobody really knew how to really put uh, an appliance or an a phone around it. Right. Then when Apple showed the design pattern of what a smartphone should look mm -hmm. like, is when Android really gained credence, right? So we had to first show the world that this architecture needs to be embraced like this and used like that. And now we are ready to really go and expand it towards what an Android looks like. Okay, so I'm Conoco, a giant oil and gas company. Sell me why I should use Nutan. Because they did. Yeah, there's tons of people. Uh, there's a lot of OPEX in existing infrastructure that right. they have. There's lots of boxes, extreme fragmentation, wastage. Uh, not the least of which is it's undigitized because these boxes are not digital. Right. When you put them in software, infrastructure is code. Code is programmable, right. which means now all of a sudden you've taken a lot of people out of the, uh, these uh, infrastructure data centers. Right. And now you're using a few people, a lot of automation, a lot of machine learning to build highly efficient infrastructure. So I bring in Nutanix and there's a selling proposition that is, look, we will save you money in how quick a time? I mean, the ROIs are as little as three months, actually. You know, and then, really? Yeah, and then it's a cloud-like consumption, pay right. as you grow. So you're not buying these mainframe-like big beasts, because big beasts are about speculation. You're speculating about three to five years in right. advance when it's all about agility, like buy small and pay as you grow. Well, look, I think this world is big enough for both Nutanix and VMware. I like the competitor friend. I know you do work with Dell. Mm -hmm. These guys all work, you guys all work around mm -hmm. together, but you all try to take each other's business too. Anyway, this is one very strong sales-driven company, and that's D. Rich Panday, the chairman CEO of Nutanix. Try to understand as best you can, because boy, do they have momentum. Man Money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light milk round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skiing daddy! Time for the light milk round! Let's start with Teresa in my home state of New Jersey. Teresa! Hi, Jim. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. I've learned a lot from your show. I mean, I'm a new to the stock market. And my question is on Benetra Materials. You know, look, it's a spinoff. We like spinoffs very much. Uh, this one's off a uh, Huntsman, I believe. And what we're going to do is we're going to do more work on it. Why? Because we did a spinoff, uh, well-built piece last night, Manitowoc. People liked it. We're going to go look at this company. Let, right, no, we did some work on it initially, and it's very commodity-oriented. Let's go to Ryan in Kentucky. Ryan. Hey, Jim. My stock is T-Mobile. It's had a nice run since the Sprint deal collapsed, but is it still a good buy? John Leisure made an acquisition, and frankly, I'm puzzled by it. I like T-Mobile. I did not understand this video acquisition. John, come on the show and explain it to us. Let's go to Anthony in California. Anthony. Hey, Jim. Long-time fan, first-time caller. Thank you. Wondering what you think about EA. Uh, I like EA, but frankly, I think Take Two is better. And Activision Blizzard, big upgrade, Judge ExcelWorksPlus.com club name. Big upgrade the other day from Goldman. You should read that report. It's very positive. Let's go to Anesti, New York. Anesti, New York. Hello, Booyah Gamer from Booyah. New York, Astoria. Oh, man, I just went. We were looking the other day trying to figure out we should buy property there. What's up? It, everything is fine. I have a question about Accorda Therapy. 
No, no, no. It, it, the stuff's not, it may not be working. We're going to go, when we've got situations, high-quality situations, like a Bristol-Myers, like a Merck, like a Pfizer, or like an Eli Lilly, we're going to go for those right now. Let's go to Chanel in Illinois. Chanel. Jim, should I buy more Owens and Corning here or wait for another pullback? And I'm also, torn. is this the result uh, of what's going on with the tax plan? Oh, okay, I am torn here. Why? Because we, we had Mike Thamen on the other day, and boy, was the story great. That said, the stock's been up in a straight line of 66%. We're going to wait for more of a pullback. That's too aggressive. Robert in New York. Robert. Hey, Jim Big Booyah. How are you? Oh, I am good. How about you? Good, good. I just want to say me and my son Nick follow you. He's in the Air Force quite a bit. And I just want to ask you about Regeneron. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, thank your son for serving. That's fantastic. Regeneron, you know, earlier there was a, a guy who asked about a biotech stock that I wasn't that crazy about. Regeneron? Ah. That company, I think, is doing great things and not getting the credit for it. Len Schleifer's doing remarkable things in a lot of different categories. Dick in Virginia. Dick. Hello? Dick, it's Jim. What's up? Hi, Jim. I wanted to wish you and your family and your extended family at Mad Money a happy holidays. Ah, oh, sick. Thank you. Yes, and go Eagles. And my question is, I followed your advice about buying Boeing, which has come up quite a bit. And I was wondering what you thought about trimming it a little bit to buy Cummings Engine, which is oh, not maybe trading Cummings very well. Quick. Those are two great companies, but I can't tell you to sell any Boeing because I got a $400 price target out two years. Well, 18 months even. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I'm always talking about the need to identify powerful long-term themes. But let me be clear about something. You can't just have a theme going for you. You also have to get the execution right. In other words, the devil's in the details. Consider the case of Synaptic, symbol S-Y-N-A. It's a company that makes what are known as human interface solutions, touchpads for smartphones and tablets, fingerprint readers, and high-quality displays, including those that are using the connected car. This stuff's become so ubiquitous that you barely think about it anymore. So you'd think that a play on connectivity in the Internet of Things uh, uh, like the stock of Synaptics, will be doing well, especially after its recent acquisitions of Connexin and Marvell Technologies' multimedia business. But this stock's had a rough time for the past couple of years. It lost 33% of its value in 2016, and it's down another 24% year-to-date. Why? Well, it's seen some slowdown in its growth because the company got a little too levered to a couple of specific mobile products, and it lost some orders. That said, it does seem to be getting its house in order. When Synaptics reported a little over a month ago, the results were surprisingly strong, even though we learned that the company likely wouldn't be getting another key contract, a Samsung phone, and the stock has now rebounded 20% from its early uh, November lows. So could this be a sustainable turnaround? Let's dig deeper with Rick Bergman, the president and CEO of Synaptics, find out more about the potential comeback story here. Rick, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Jim. It's great to talk to you again. Okay, so you were on August 24th, and you did a series of acquisitions that you said would really start getting the company going in terms of momentum. How have they worked out so far? Uh, it's been fantastic, uh, Jim, in a lot of ways. One thing, we've already increased our, our revenue expectations for those acquisitions in, in the very hot consumer IoT area. 
uh, and those products, you just have to go out to the stores or go on the web and see what voice-enabled products are doing. They are the hot product for holiday 2017. Now, uh, we talked last time about Amazon, and, I, you know, I didn't know how powerful voice was. Now it seems like that it's become, we were out in Silicon Valley recently, and it, it, it has become the hottest thing in the world. Why is that? Because, you know, if you had told me a year ago that voice would matter, I, I would be skeptical. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right, Jim. And Synaptic is a human interface leader, and we recognized a couple of years ago we're not fulfilling that m uh, mission unless we're playing in voice. And so what's really happened over the last couple of years is voice has gone to, frankly, it was almost an annoyance if, if you had it in an automobile or, or other applications to where there's been some technology break, breakthroughs, uh, one by the acquisition that we made of Connexent, that has really just made voice extremely accurate now. And the recognition is, as well as what you do with those phrases has gotten to the level where it's, it's almost like talking to somebody. And so now it's this very useful uh, application and it's just taking off and it's hitting you know, in price points where you, you got to have one. You got to have one for every room. Now, uh, we do, by the way. <laughs> we, have, we have one in every room. It's funny <laughs> you mention that. The people keep giving them to us. I take every one of them. Now, you mentioned Internet of Things, IoT, and uh, also autos. We think that, any, that autos is the next big, great growth market. So tell me where you play in that. Uh, so, of course, we play in our traditional areas, as, as you'd expect, on the touch and the displays. And we've enjoyed some really good success there. But now, again, voice, if we can do what, what we've done in the home, in the automobile for voice, pretty much everybody will be using that as a key interface. And again, think of the, the power of that, is you don't have to take your eyes off the road. You can do it very conversationally as long as it's accurate. And we believe we can bring that level of accuracy. In fact, during our analyst day a couple days ago, we increased the expectations of revenue that we expect from voice from 3x today in 2022 up now to 4x in 2022. Okay, uh, last time you were on, you talked about optical fingerprints. And what I wondered is, is that something that is, uh, I don't want to say his time has already come, but, you know, for instance, I have an iPhone and it has face recognition. It's really cool. I mean, optical fingerprint is still used a lot, but it, does it have a big uh, shelf life coming forward? Yeah, Jim, again, a great question. And facial recognition is for some people and other people prefer uh, optical fingerprint. If, if you look at the benefits that we're bringing, this is really the first time. So kind of our big news for today is, is we have a worldwide top five smartphone manufacturer deploying our fingerprint solution in a phone early next year in mass production. And it's, it's really, it's more secure, it's actually faster, and it's more convenient uh, than what you see from uh, certain types of facial recognition solutions. Now, I, when you had your analyst meeting, I mean, I was, I have to tell you, I thought the analyst meeting was very good. I went through all the notes. Um, are, are you starting to get that institutional interest again? Because I think there were a lot of people who kind of felt, you know what, there's not enough moat for what Synaptics does. Uh, these two last acquisitions, to me, made it so that you're very hard to, uh, you, that, you're, that your business is far stickier and you won't lose customers. No, that's absolutely right. So the reality is, is we were dependent on a, a small handful of, of customers for a lot of our revenue. Now it's being diversified. So I, I mentioned the smartphone manufacturer, Vivo, that is using our fingerprint solution. They are a, not known here in the U.S., but they're in a very exciting worldwide brand uh, that's decided to, to work with us closely and develop this technology and bring it forward. And that's the type of diversification we need much broader than just a, a couple customers. And of course, the consumer IoT business we were talking about a few minutes ago, also entirely different set of customers, 
a lot of revenue, a lot of opportunities. So we have that sustained, consistent, profitable business model that I believe our investors are looking for going forward. Excellent. I just want to go back to voice for a second. Recently, uh, David Faber, my colleague, interviewed uh, John Malone, who's a terrific guy. And he talked about the Amazon Death Star uh, and how it destroys everything. And, you know, no sooner I, I go home and what happens? Well, my wife is saying, listen, this am- this the, the devices are listening to everything. They know everything. There's no privacy anymore. It, Amazon is too powerful. Now, does anybody else worry about privacy or is it just a couple of people? Well, it, to me, it's ultimately it's a balance. So there's privacy and security. There's also convenience. And at some level, large companies, whether it's Google or, or Amazon, have a lot more to lose by compromising privacy or security. So as I said, I, I have eight of these in, in my home. I'm not worried about it at all. I think it's, it's a pretty uh, safe technology. And certainly there's control mechanisms there. If you want to, you can turn off the microphone. But it's, it's, it's certainly a very safe and exciting. Well, that's it, pretty much what I said exactly to my wife, because I love them. I think they're <laughs> the greatest. Rick Bergman, president and CEO of Synaptics, which is making a comeback, and I think it's a pretty darn interesting company. Stick with Kramer. What can I say? I never lost faith, and you know that. I've been behind Disney, whether it has ESPN decline or not. And now you got this Fox deal, and Bob Iger is delivering tremendous value. And yes, if this stock goes down along with the delay of the tax bill, you're getting still one more chance to buy. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.